Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And happy Pentecost season for us here in Minnesota. It's a beautiful time of year. Today is the last day of school for my children, so they are full of the spirit, I guess you would say, ready for the summer months and running out like like uh, like animals out of the barn, ready to take on the summer months. And as we say in Minnesota, go to the lake. And for us, though, this day, we are here by the power of that Holy Spirit to open our eyes as we study the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles in 2 Kings chapter 4. What is fascinating to me is the story of Elisha. We hear of Elijah quite often. We see him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, but here, um, we hear a crazy amount of stories about Elisha. He is he, In the chapters 4 through 7, he records eight miraculous deeds that the Lord did through Elisha. And today it begins that journey. And as we hear this, it has some very significant realities for then and also for today. Join us, stick with us as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Curtis Dieterding of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor Dieterding, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. And it's good to be back. So I, I bet your kids are full of the spirit, probably like like <laughs> weather's summer before. So <laughs> absolutely, oh my, it's 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 a good time. You remember that as a kid, you know, and you and you served in Minnesota. You know how it is. Once school ends, it's just like people run to their cars with their boats on the back and they disappear on Highway 10 and 71 and Highway 94, and you don't see them until Sunday evening. So that's just how it works, right? You remember these days. Right. Well, they came up to Fergus Falls. That's where I was. That's where I was at the time. They came up to you know Otter Tail uh, County up there. Lots of lakes up there. But they they claim there's a thousand lakes in Otter Tail County alone. But and absolutely. So, absolutely, yeah. That was a, wow. that was a surprising thing when I became a pastor up there. Um, they asked me where my boat was <laughs> when, I, when I arrived. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait. So, what's going on yeah. here? Yeah. You gonna buy me one? You said Did they buy you one. Then probably not. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> so, Pastor, no, I, did, I enjoyed what's... it though. I did. I did actually have a boat. Uh, you know, bought a nice little fishing boat, and you could, after the late meeting, if you could catch another hour or two of, of sun before it, it went down, it's nice to drop it into a lake up there somewhere. And I do That's miss it. those days, actually. Yeah. Good times, good times. So, Pastor Dieterding, what's happening for you and the Saints at Zion Lutheran Church this summer? Um, well, you know, it's it's always it's always uh, a lot slower down here and a lot hotter in uh, in the summertime, of course, down here in Florida. And uh, so, a lot of our people that come down for the winter have gone home now. <laughs> Many of them to Minnesota to enjoy the, the nice, cool weather up there. Uh, they just love to have that uh, that that you know that kind of balanced weather there. Uh, going back and forth like that. So, yeah, we miss a lot of those folks. And then they'll be back. They'll be coming back again, uh, usually around the end of September, some of them already. And then uh, most of them don't come back until next January, which is uh, and then they'll be here for a few months again. It's it's a cycle down here. So it's kind of interesting. So uh, here's another question. This is as a Minnesotan. Have you attended any Fort Myers Mighty Muscle Games yet, the minor league baseball team in Fort Myers? You know, 
my wife and I, we did we did uh, take in a lot of miracle games because they were the miracle before, and now uh, mm-hmm. this mighty muscle, we've not seen them under that under that name yet. Um, we wanted to get out there this this summer, and we hope to do that yet. But uh, right now, we're looking at visiting a lot of families, so I'm not sure how, if we're going to be able to get that done or not. A lot of okay. rainouts, of course, in the rainy season down here too. So they always oh. have that challenge as well. Gotcha. All right. Well, as as we say here, also in Minnesota, probably should be back in the farm. We're here about the Word of God, and today we are studying Second Kings, chapter four, which begins a wonderful powerful time for Elisha. But before we do that, Pastor, can you begin us in prayer? Almighty and most gracious God, we come before you this day and ask that you would bless us by the power of your Holy Spirit. As the Spirit uh, continues to help us to grow in our faith, to keep us held steadfast there through your your powerful word. And today we hear power in that word uh, as we look at Elisha and his life and the impact that it has on our faith and all that you do in that power. We pray that you would also bless us richly, that that we may continue to uh, go out and share this wonderful word of of uh, the good news that is ours in Christ Jesus with the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our dear Savior. Amen. Amen. Reminder to everyone that if you have any questions concerning our text today, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Or, we just started this last week, Pastor, you can call us, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. Once again, 1-800-730-2727, 314-821-0850. So, as we look at today's text, it is... Um, I have to admit this, as I said in the introduction, that Elijah and Elisha are so interconnected, not only a few letters difference, but I think a lot of times we hear the Elijah story and we kind of just move on. We go straight to Naaman. We go right to the cleansing of the leper. Um, but here, Elisha has so many great stories throughout uh, this chapter that I'm glad I split it into two because today we'll only go through the first 17 verses and tomorrow we'll finish it up from there. So, um, Pastor, what kind of thoughts do you have on Elisha or what leads us up to today's text to help us out? Well, you, you know, there was this, uh, this kind of... A- transference or this succession, you know, that took place um, with the Elisha now uh, going forth as, as the prophet uh, that uh, doing God's work. And uh, here we have him um, coming to the, to the widow's house. And of course, these are, these are more among the, the, the stories that we hear, um, you know, in like Sunday school, you know, these would have been some of the stories that we would have heard concerning Elisha. But uh, we hear how that's uh, going to take place here, um, coming up here in these very first few verses, anyway. Uh, and there was, uh, there was, I believe he's in the land of the Edomites, if I remember right here, or, uh, or the Moabites. I can't remember exactly where he was at at this time. I'd have to like, actually look back on that. But um, it's, it, it's going to be an, an interesting story that really points us in many ways to um, you know, the second half, which, uh, which is coming up at, of course, uh, uh, tomorrow. But, um, so that's about, that's about all I have to say to kind of introduce. Well, it is interesting. Are, are you referencing like where the, where Shunem is? Um, are you saying where that is, or are you referencing when he's with, uh, 
the uh, widow's oil, the widow and all that. Yeah, I'm think I'm, I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's a good question because you have the Moabite story um, in chapter three, um, right. which is more south, and then Yeshunam, which is more north. And this is where a good reminder to our listeners, because I get so confused when you just read the Bible, you don't really get the full understanding of where this actually occurs or like, you know, they leave Jerusalem and they go north and they say, go up. Well, you know, in Minnesota, you're going up, you're going up to the boundary waters, you know, Um, but there it's Jerusalem's high and it goes down. So geography is very confusing. So I encourage our listeners to get a good map. Um, find uh, where Mount Carmel is, uh, Lake uh, Sea of Galilee, kind of the Schumann stories in between there. But I don't think we know where the Elisha and the widow's oil is. If any of our listeners know, um, send us an email or, or let us know what's happening there. Um, anything else, Pastor, as we get to the widow, Elisha and the widow's oil? I think, that's, I think that's all I have for right now. So. Gotcha. Okay. So as we look at this today, um, reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. And as I say, the gifts are ready, ready for you. Second Kings, and what I'll do is I will read from verse 1, because there's probably some important context that we want to make sure we're on the same page. So Second Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord Yahweh, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Now, Pastor, as we look at this, these verses, there's a number of things that we probably need to define. Any thoughts on the first verse before we dig into some other things? Um, I have to say that um, I haven't done a lot of background on the history of this to, to really help out. What, what do you see here? There you go. There you go. Bringing it back. <laughs> that's what, yeah, see, that's, so, that's what I do. Come on now. I do that to you. You're not supposed to do it to me. No, it's good. Um, but you have you have a number of things. Throughout this time, you have the son of the prophets, uh, the wife of the sons of the prophets. So there's a number of prophets out there. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I've done a number of studies on that. And I haven't really found much on that. Um, right. But what's interesting to me is it reminds me of when it talks about the sons or the children have to go into slavery. Because it reminds me of the old the old legend of Saint Nick, is that you know Saint Nick was going to help this father who would have to sell his daughters because he doesn't have enough money and 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 everything else. And so it kind of it, it kind of strikes a chord here that um, something that we can't even imagine that we would have to like put our kids into slavery. Um, have you ever done any research on that before? I, I I haven't. That's why I was, this kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I know. I'm catching you off. Yeah, because you're thinking about going the mighty muscle game instead. You know, it's getting. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not it. Uh, that's right. That's right. So when you look I'm at this, to, I'm just um, trying to figure out the creditor here. The you know what what would that be like similar to? Like, I'm just trying to figure out. Um, you know, it, says, it says you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And it's kind of interesting. The creditor is that um, I'm not sure that that's the same as what we understand creditor to be in our world today. Right. Um, and I, I um, do remember doing some research on that years ago, and I can't remember. I was, that's why I'm trying to recall uh, exactly uh, what, what this person's background would have been. And that's where, you know, that particular part, I didn't check either, um, to be honest. I, I just, you hear the Levitical laws from Leviticus 25 where it talks about that um, that the creditor had the right to claim a person in the family who was unable to pay. 
Um, and you hear about not necessarily that part in the Bible, but then you hear about that they were basically to work for him until the year of Jubilee when they would be set free, which is in 20, you know, Leviticus 25. And so it's it, who is the creditor? I'm not exactly sure. This might be a good thing for our listeners if you have any input on this, um, because, you know, we're just two pastors trying to figure the scriptures out. You can do some research as we're talking. Um, but it is interesting. It hits the ears differently because I can't imagine a scenario where I would have to give up my children to it, well, at the very least, a creditor, a bank, or something like that. So the story right away kind of puts us in a place where we don't quite understand. Any reflections on that? Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to lose your husband. It's another thing to lose your husband and then you lose your sons, too, to slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that, had to be, that had to be really hard to, to take all this at once. I mean, when you think of the stress that this woman would have been under, um, you know, and he's come to take take my two children away. So it's not the fact that they're just going to be working as slaves and then coming back home. I mean, they're being taken away, according to what we're mm-hmm. what we're hearing here in this first verse. And so that really takes you back. Um, you know, it's it's like that with anybody that you know if you've lost family and then you know your your child one child goes off to college, one goes you know you lose one to death, you lose one. You know, at, at a certain point, you know that all of that stress uh, it lays on you, and you're you, you know you're staying at home and 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 so forth. I mean, that's uh, it's just interesting to kind of look at this to see what she is going through because it's going to be about her as we move forward. So, okay, yeah, and and that's and that's something that for today's verses, I think it's important for us to remember to try to get a little bit of a feel for what people were going through. And this is something important for us as Christians, is that when someone's going through a traumatic time, it's very easy for us to try to give pad answers. But here's a scenario where this wife um, is, is, is going to lose her husband, like you said, and is probably good, more than likely going to lose her children, like you said, not just for a weekend or for a week at camp or something, but we're talking gone and maybe never to see them again. And clearly, when you see the sons of the prophets, I was kind of looking it up here as we were talking. It, it, there's a connection here of saying we're people of faith, and you know that he had faith. He, he was a man of the Lord. So how can we help each other out? And that's a good challenge for us as a church as well. How can we serve with mercy as our Lord is merciful with us? So I think today, as we look at these 17 verses, is for us not only to hear the story and go, well, that's nice, but also it's a challenge for us as a church is what are people going through and how can we serve as our Lord has already served us? So th- those are some of my thoughts that I think is a good chord, um, a good theme as we look at today's verses. So let's move on. Uh, go to verses two through four as we hear more of the story. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside Borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So we receive even more information. Um, First of all, this woman has nothing. I mean, we're not talking that she, you know, lost her job as an unemployment. She has nothing um, to bring to the table. And, uh, to me, I don't know, any reflections on that as we um, 
I guess think about our own culture. I, I'm trying to think out loud of of how we speak about what she's going through and how the Lord provided for her. And at the same time, what does this mean for us today and how we, we encourage and how we help people in our own lives? So any reflections on that? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to be said here. I mean, you've got, you know, um, what he tells her to do. First of all, we know that she's in poverty. We know that she must owe a, a great debt because that's, you know, that's what creditors are about, too. And, uh, you know, that her sons were actually going to be taken away to be slaves to, to pay, really, to pay down whatever debt there must be. I mean, they're they're poor. And what's really interesting is he says to her, he says to go to your neighbors and mm. ask them for empty vessels, and not too few. I mean, he's, you know, be bold. Go out there and let them know, you know, that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in need. And you know what? We have that happening in our communities all around us. You know, we are a church family here, and um, we have people that are constantly coming to us to let us know that they're not able to manage, they're not able to make it, that uh, they need help. And uh, that's what we're there for, to be, a, to be a neighbor that can help. And I think here in this situation, we're actually seeing that, um, that you know, there are people around this woman that know her that uh, would help her. And so he's asking her, this is the time to do this now. Go and ask for these vessels. And notice that, you know, he's only asking her to borrow the vessels, not to ask for the vessels, you know, to, to be her possession. But, um, and so that's kind of interesting, too. And I think it really says a lot about uh, who we are as people of God in the service to our neighbors. And here he's giving opportunity for the neighbors to actually serve this woman. That is that's a good point too. Is that that there is a that there's an opportunity always at our door, and he gives her the tools in order to provide. Um, that that's a really good point for us to think about that as a church. And I, I would you know really I wanna I wanna I I really would look through this text significantly and thinking about in the realm of the mercy of God and how we could be merciful to other people. And often it isn't so much that we don't have it is that we're not seeing it. And so we pray the Lord would show us that. And sometimes it comes in the form of someone and just being very blatantly honest, I need jars. <laughs> and, and, and who knows uh, what, what that, what that meant for those folks. Did they need those jars? Did they not need those vessels? Um, you know, I don't know. That's an interesting dynamic for us is to think about, what we have that we might think is insignificant, but might be very significant for other people. I'd say, especially, you know, in the St. Cloud area, we have a lot of uh, immigrants um, from different countries and it's a fascinating uh, place to be. And so there, uh, simply having uh, a dresser or a, a bed, there's a, there's a group that meets together that just says, we'll take your old beds because there's tons of kids in this, in these areas that have no beds, um, no place to sleep uh, as far as how we would envision it to be. And so, yeah, you take what we would consider to be something to go get recycled is something that they will have that they never had before. So that, that's something that's really fascinating here. Other thoughts on those verses? No, I think, I think we've pretty well, I think, covered the bases there on that one. Um, just uh, the last part maybe we can look at there is, is when one is full, set it aside. It sounds like there's, you know, he's already uh, making her hopeful. Um, as as uh, as he's talking to her about pouring into the jar, it sounds like there's there might be some hope. And you know, I mean, why is she going to be gathering these vessels? She's already got to be thinking what's going on here. You know, so uh, it's it's interesting. There seems to be these are these are also verses of hope for this woman as well. Um, she's already got to be anticipating something's going to happen. She knows he's a prophet, 
and she knows that in t in, you know there are times where the prophets have uh, performed miracles as well. And that's you know as looking at this, it is it is interesting because it's so simple, and we're going to see this throughout the next four chapters. It's such a simple thing. It's like, okay, go get some vessels. Ask your neighbor, have a whole bunch of them, which maybe, you know, this might be like a Y2K thing where people were storing bottles upon bottles in their in their basement of water. You know, like these people are nuts. What's going on? So who knows? You might be seen as a crazy lady on the road with a bunch of jars. Um, but so you have that dynamic. Just get jars. That's all you need to do. And then secondly, uh, when it's full, you're kind of like, okay, so how is this going to get full exactly? Just mm -hmm. set it aside. And, and it shows you how God works through the simple things in life um, to provide for our needs. And I, that I really wanted to take a step back and to envision what this woman would be thinking right now. So all you want me to do is take that and put it aside. Yes. Okay. All right, Lord. I wish I had a little more like a sarcastic moment from her where she's like, all right, whatever you say, but you're nuts, Elisha. You are crazy. So anyways, um, so the simplicity of this is always important as well. Um, last thoughts before we move on to uh, this next these next verses. Um, I, th I think I think we I think we can go ahead and get get into the next verses because uh, we're going to see this miracle actually take place. Absolutely. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured they as she poured they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, "Bring me another vessel." And he said to her, "That there is not another." Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So, first of all, this does give us an answer to her children. At the beginning, it says children, but here we know that there would have been two sons that she would have lost, which maybe isn't that significant, but it, it, is, it is an important reality that in that culture, you would have these sons who would provide for their mother. This wasn't just... I lose my children, but they would have provided as they got older and probably got married that they could have provided for their widow mother as well. Lose them and she has nothing. I mean, she literally has nothing but a jar of oil. But secondly, it's a simple reality. So what happens here, Pastor? Well, yeah, this, this had to be an absolute phenomenal uh, experience to be able to, to go and gather all these empty vessels and to watch how, you know, the, the actual miracle is, is performed, what, behind a door? <laughs> mm -hmm, like, why, right. Why behind the door? You know, why why not in the open? This this is very interesting. I mean, she was going to be fully focused on what was going on, and then to have all of this oil just flow out of what looked like nowhere, you know, and to have these vessels fill up, she must have known that um, this was going to be her oil, that this, you know, what was taking place was all hers, and that that she had to have already been thinking how this could actually um, save her. You know, we see a little bit of a salvation story here in not losing her two sons, but that, uh, uh, that indeed they are going to be saved and, and spared from being taken away from her and, and be able to live as a family and to have an income. You know, to have some uh, some income there that uh, she can depend on, and of course, it's all through a miracle and all through God's doing, um, and so all of this uh, is recognized um, by by this woman, I'm sure, at, at the very end, very grateful. Uh, it's kind of the way God pours into our life. You know how God pours um, His gifts and His 
riches into our life. Uh, there's really a kind of a connection there that we can see how God pours into our life his grace, his mercy, uh, his forgiveness, his promises of salvation and hope. And, uh, you know, our vessels literally overflow. And uh, so you get this this idea of a debt being paid for. Um, it, it's not a hard leap, really, to see that this is what God does for us. So there's kind of, kind of a salvation picture, I believe, going on here for us as well. I do like... Um, when I was reading this, I was thinking about a song that I grew up singing, which was, Give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning, burning, burning. <laughs> it's a totally different understanding of things because you go to the the virgin, uh, the virgins with the, the oil. You know, this is about the end times um, when Christ returns. That's a whole different dynamic. But you can't help but think of the salvation narrative that you're saying is that um, – that this oil not only is oil that they can sell, but it shows you that our Lord continually provides his gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation over and over. And just doesn't it doesn't stop flowing. Um, and he extends that into our daily lives as well. Now, there's other parts of Scripture. We have about two minutes here before we take our break. There's other parts of Scripture where it's just God provides in, in kind of a— um, and not a real exciting way. So, for example, I would use uh, the widow of Zarephath, which is in First Kings seventeen that we had, where um, you know she needs uh, she needs to be fed, and he says, "Well, what do you have?" And he's you know, okay, then give me a little water, and so I may drink a little bit of cake, and I'll be able to eat it. And then it just keeps flowing with flour and oil, and she just keeps. And this is another widow story; just keeps flowing. Um, any other times in Scripture that you can think of offhand, and putting you on the spot here again, Pastor, this morning, um, but any other thoughts where there's times where God just provided when it seemed like um, that there was no opportunity for it to be provided? Any thoughts? Yeah, that, I mean, the one that you picked out you know, is one that I was also thinking of, too. But, I mean, <laughs> God provides in many different ways, uh, you know, throughout, throughout all, when you look at all the history of God's people— um, I mean, providing in ways not not necessarily with always with food or in that category, but just in uh, deliverance, especially whenever you see all the different ways in which God provides that way. I mean, you go back to the the beginning of create creation. I mean, look what look what Adam and Eve were given. You know, everything in the world uh, God had provided for them and uh, continued to provide, of course, after the, even the fall into sin. Uh, but yeah, where where God, where the, the abundance is just uh, just unbelievable. Like, especially like you know the people of God. You know, and you have the story where they're uh, being uh, taken out of, or they're coming out of Egypt, and and uh, they end up against the Red Sea, and God provided for them in probably one of the most spectacular and glorious ways ever. Um, that's what I'm saying. In all of these stories, especially when there's salvation or somebody's being saved as the people were that day, and every, every enemy drowned. I mean, that's, what, what greater provision can you have? What, what greater power of God can you see? And I think that in just this little miracle, or what we might look at it as a smaller miracle, uh, we surely see God's power at work in even uh, smaller ways that uh, bring his deliverance or salvation. Well, right now, I want to hit uh, hit uh, maybe some other stories that we have, and we also have a comment from one of our listeners that we'll get to after our break. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 4 with Pastor Dieterding, and we'll be right back.
1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis at 815 and Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield at 1030, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people in new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Music has no trouble expressing sorrow, even less trouble expressing joy. The church's music takes all aspects of human experience seriously. You will hear the music of burdened spirits and soaring spirits on the next Sing for Joy. Join us Sundays at noon on KFUO. Welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 4 with Pastor Curtis Dieterding of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. And as we've been uh, looking at this first seven verses of chapter 4, we have Elisha and the widow's oil, and the oil just keeps flowing. And right now we have a comment um, from one of our guests, Ian. So Ian, what do you have for us today? Yes, uh, I really enjoy this show, um, and especially that you're going through something like the books of the kings i wish uh i wish that was something studied much more often um but uh, my comment was you had you were mentioning at the beginning where was this um widow of one of the prophets who was she and it made me think of josephus i was just reading in josephus about this section and he seems to think it was the uh widow of obadiah who hid the prophet's by 50s. Ah, mm. yeah. Interesting. Josephus wrote this, you said? Yeah, Josephus. I forget oh. which book it is. I think it's, let me see. So I think it's in book eight. Yeah, I think book eight, chapter, huh. uh, yeah, somewhere in book book eight of Wonderful. Uh, Josephus. Maybe the beginning of book nine, but Right, right around there, where he, book nine is about where Second Kings starts. So it's right around there. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Ian, for your for your comment, and it's good. It's a good reminder for us, Pastor uh, Dieter Ding, that we have amazing listeners who are doing extensive homework and know their scriptures, and not only that, but they're early church fathers. So that's a good a good. Um, um, connection with Obadiah might be, and we can't say it isn't, but it is a good reminder for us of of the connections from First Kings into Second Kings, and and um, uh, the interconnectedness of God's faithful people during those days. Because it was, you know, the, the the wife of Obadiah that hid the prophets. This is before Elijah um, went with Mount Carmel, and so it seemed like he was the only prophet still around. But then there were these guys hidden in the caves that the Lord had protected as well. So, um, any thoughts on that, Pastor Dieterding? 
No, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, what the background is on all that, but that's uh, that is that is very interesting. Um, I well, do Ian, wanna... Ian, go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna, I was going to tell Ian, keep doing your homework and keep calling in. We love it. This is wonderful. So continue on, Pastor. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, earlier you had asked, and I'm kind, of, I'm kind of going back to a question that you asked. You know, can you think of another time where God has been, you know, providing? And uh, you know, the obvious ones would be uh, whenever He was t- telling the people of Israel that you know He's taking them to a land filled with milk and honey. I mean, you know, a plant, a, a place that would be very prosperous to them. And then he, and then also, you know, Jesus, you know, obviously, you know, whenever he would feed the, the thousands that were there in front of him that were hungry, and, uh, you know, with just a, a little bit of food, you know, there'd be this miraculous feeding of, of people. So we do, we do see, on a number of occasions, you know, where God is providing, even in the sense of food, uh, to bring nourishment uh, to the people, um, which is, which is really a practice in our church that we do as well, in order to bring the gospel. Uh, to people in other places that are impoverished especially, uh, what we try to do is go in and, and, and feed them first. You know, we try to bring uh, physical food so that we can eventually bring uh, spiritual food. So this is actually uh, part of uh, the way in which we have uh, done mission outreach even within our church body. And one of the real powerful things is when you make the connection of how God provides here and it points us to a greater reality. So, for example, like, you, like we talked about feeding of the 5,000. Well, clearly, Jesus does this in a very, you know, really simple way. Not much different than the hid behind the door thing. Is It's just the, the bread kept coming. Well, what else does that point us to? It clearly points us to Jesus, the bread of life. It also points us to the Lord's Supper, where we receive this unending salvation and forgiveness. We see this in 2 Kings and also in Exodus 15, 2 Kings chapter 2, where there's bad water and they throw a log in it and all of a sudden it becomes good water with Moses. And then in chapter 2, you know, they take the water and um, he throws salt in it and, it, and it's it's good for, it's good. It's no longer bad in Jericho. And this reminds us, obviously it points us to our baptismal um, identity. It points us to the cleansing nature of our Lord and the oil. I would say that we can't make it quite one-to-one with the oil and the lamp that we're talking about in the end times, but it does show us again, as you said so well, of this salvation reality that just keeps flowing upon us. Um, anointing with oil, I think is another way we can look at this. And it's God showing that he provides not only the sustenance, but also all of our daily needs in salvation and forgiveness that we have in Christ. So I, there's so many connections we could make, um, and it's so powerful. But any last thoughts on the first story we have here this morning? Yeah, I think that, you know, just the, 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 the I think you've hit it on the head. I mean, these, these both of these stories, the one that we're coming up on too, are both stories that shows how God is the one who we continually need to be dependent upon to provide for all of our needs, whatever those needs may be. Um, even sometimes uh, needs that we have that um, that you know that we don't think we're going to ever see fulfilled. Uh, you know, God does that in in spectacular ways, and I'm sure this woman felt that way. You know, she knew it was in- inevitable; her sons are going to be taken away. And uh, then to have one of the prophets actually appear on her doorstep, and uh, and know that her you know her husband is dead and that they are impoverished and there's no there's just it looks hopeless it looks totally hopeless mm-hmm. 
I mean, think mm-hmm. about that situation. Well, how many situations have we been in that look totally hopeless? Like, no matter which direction you go, it's not a good direction. There's no way out. It's I feel trapped. And I'm sure this woman felt trapped. And I think uh, we can learn a lot from this, that, um, that, you know, continually turning to the Lord in our times when we're in most need, uh, it may not may not be the way we think he's going to bring us through that time and through that difficult part of our life. Uh-huh. Just like this lady here, you know, this woman here. I mean, how would she have ever guessed that this is how uh, she would have gotten out of poverty is through this miraculous pouring of, of oil there. Um, and then to be able to, to, to be able to retain her sons as well must have been just absolutely glorious when it, everything looks so hopeless. And it seems so simple, too. It's just a couple jars of oil, but yet it symbolized so much more um, for her family. And I want to do this, as I said, everything is very simple, which is why as Christians we go to the simplicity of the faith. Specifically, I love going back to the small catechism. To our listeners, it's Luther's small catechism that we have that was written by Martin Luther in the 1520s to teach the very basics of the faith. And one of them is is part of the creed. And the first article of the creed talks about how God provides. So I just want to read these words because they're good words. Actually, I have these words memorized as well, but they're good words for you to have that if you do not have a Luther small catechism, I would encourage you to get one. Um, we can point you in that direction at some point here too. But it says this, and I think it, it captures all of what we're talking about when he talks about how God is the one who also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house, home, wife and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He daily and richly provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. And I love how Martin Luther wrote this for such a simple way to show that all of that list might not be the way that you think that God should provide for you, but that's the way he does. And it's a reminder of the simplicity of all of that and a reminder that this rings true throughout the whole Bible. Who would have thought Martin Luther actually wrote it about the Bible, Um, but it's it's relevant for us today. So let's move on because the next story, um, true story, is a very important one for us to be able to relate for then and also for today. So verses 8 through 10. One day, Elisha went on to Shunan, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And he said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that wherever he comes, whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So... Here, like we said about Shunem, it's kind of a little bit south and, and um, west of the Sea of Galilee within earshot or with travel of Mount Carmel, which is probably where Elisha was a lot of these days. Um, and that doesn't seem to be as important as just the reality that God worked in this woman's life to say, you know what, this is a man of God. We're going to provide for him. We're going to be gracious. We're going to be generous and give him a place to be able to study and to lay his head down when he travels and does the Lord's work. So this is a good reminder for us. So once again, the Lord provides. Thoughts on these verses, Pastor? Yeah, I mean, you're you're looking here, and um, it's it's interesting. You know, he, he passes that way. Well, he must pass that way quite often. And as we're looking at this, you know, whenever he passes that way, so it's almost like he passes through there so often that you know we really should have another room for this guy, and and we could have him actually stay here with us in his own room. You know. Um, so it kind of gives you an idea that 
um, th- th- you know, they're reaching out. Here's here's one of those neighborly things. I mean, this is going way up over the top, too, I think. I mean, how many of us would add a room to our house to, to give to? Now, I know that we live in modern-day times, but even even so, I mean, to have an extra room uh, built, I mean, literally built onto your house, uh, in this case, of course, up on the uh, the upper part of their house, up on the roof, um, that, and, and then to also furnish it. How would you like to have a furnished apartment built just for you? Um, mm. They definitely, uh, there definitely had to have been a connection uh, in their minds and in their hearts of of Elisha and who he is and and what he's done. Um, I mean, that's that. I mean, you don't just do that for someone out of nowhere just because uh, they they happen to be coming through your way all the time. So there there had to be a relationship that was already start, started too, um, and it's kind of interesting. Like you know, I, I can't help but as I'm, as we're reading through a lot of these, you know, is there you know what's the languages and is there a language barrier at all? You know, um, does he know? Is he in a part of of the world where he's a lot more familiar and he passes through there because there's familiarity? I mean, there's a lot of questions just because. Uh, there's not a lot of those specifics answered here. And part of it, too, that amazes me, and, that, and that's, a, that's a great point, there's probably a lot of factors there, is it points us to the way that the Lord leads us to be generous. Um, because the story is not just about you have a ton of cash, and then therefore you make a room, but it's about how the Lord, it kind of like they're saying, this guy keeps showing up in my life. I probably, let's do something for this person. It's the same thing that God provides for us. I think of uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that speaks about generosity. And when he speaks about this generosity, it is uh, um, uh, that this generosity is something that the Lord gives to us. This generosity is something that flows from the generosity of the Lord to us. And at the same time, that that uh, that God provides even in the midst of this. So you never know what God's going to do. We live our lives and we pray for that opportunity. And I'm thinking a lot about this because God puts people in our lives that bless us. I think about right. my kids' teachers right, right yeah. now at the end of the school year. Think about all they went through. So, you know, how can we bless them? How can we uh, care for them? Um, you know, other other aspects of our lives, obviously your parents, your children, your your your, your spouse, those kind of things. It's a good challenge for us. You don't have to build a room. This is descriptive, not prescriptive, but it is a reminder. How can we be generous as our Lord has been generous with us? Last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just as as you're talking there, yeah, I I, I think you're you're right on. Um, you don't know how God is gonna how God is gonna provide, uh, especially in times of need. I know that um, when my father was also a pastor, and, and when he was at the seminary. Uh, there was a there was a year where he you know, he and my mom they both worked trying to get get him put through seminary and they just couldn't manage uh, anymore and my dad I remember them talking about how they were going to just step out uh, for a year and try to, to you know to make some money so that they can pay their debt so that they could they could move on uh, and one of the families uh, there were three sisters that lived together as on a farm. And these three sisters, uh, actually, my dad didn't. My dad still believes that's who made the donation to help pay off his debt. But his, hmm. he went to the mailbox one day. An anonymous letter said that um, that his debt had been paid off there at the seminary, and that he they they encouraged him to continue to go on, and they would help him out wherever he needed help. And wow. uh, but it was an anonymous gift at the time. 
I think it was these three sisters. They were very close to my family. I even actually got to see them when I became a pastor and talked with them. I never asked them. I never put them on the spot. But I know that God put them in our path, and I'm I'm almost convinced that. And if it wasn't them, then who was it? You know, God provided right. in that situation and uh, right. allowed my father to continue to be able to uh, continue his education so he could become a pastor. Well, all we can say then is thanks be to God. So, so we see that. <laughs> you never know. It's just kind of interesting in this situation. Um, I, I really do believe it was a, a few of the um, the sisters uh, that that did that. Um, just because of my acquaintance with them, I just picked up on on that fact that I believe that that's who it was. Yeah. Wonderful. So as we look at her, uh, we, we, we know the Lord has provided through this wealthy woman and her husband. And now we look at the next few verses as the story continues on. One day, verse, excuse me, verse 11 through 13. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, and, she's, and he said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. Now, <laughs> this is kind of an interesting dynamic. It's a very simple story. Basically, he's resting. He's like, nah, Gehazi is a servant of his that we get a picture of in these few chapters. And he basically uses him as an inter- intermediary and, and makes a simple request. Um, any thoughts uh, on on the request or her response, Pastor? Yeah, I mean, this is why, you know, when I had read this earlier, this is why I was saying, you know, what what kind of barriers might there even be? Like, language could be one of them. And, and when you mm. look at this, it, it appears that maybe maybe the dialect or whatever might be a little bit different, and that might be why he was using him. Because, it, it, I mean, it's odd oh, otherwise. Sure. I mean, she's right there. Why can't he just talk to her? Well, it that doesn't really describe why this is happening uh, the way it is, but sure. uh, you look there, and um, I think he, he wanted to be very clear with her what was going on, and uh, made sure that he understood her as well. So that's it's kind of interesting. It makes a simple request: "What can I do for you?" And right, he kind of gives a few ideas. You know, um, any thoughts on that? The simplicity of that and her response. Well, I think I I believe you know I mean obviously they've done for him. And uh, they know who he is. They know he's a prophet. Um, there may have been uh, maybe even some curiosity as to, uh, you know, is there any other motive behind it other than just being kind and loving and caring to uh, a prophet of God that's coming through the area on a regular basis? And so uh, now he's giving her opportunity to uh, to make a request, um, you know, if there's anything at all that he, that, that, uh, he can do. And it's interesting because he kind of he kind of goes big or goes home, right? He says, "How about I talk to the king? You know, maybe the king can get you uh, this sweet, sweet new fishing boat. Like if she is from Minnesota, um, you know, maybe go to the army that you'll have special protection in case the Moabites come by again. Um, you know, all of these kind of special requests." And her answer is quite unique because she says, "I dwell among my own people." 
Now, right. Pastor, I, I, I want your thoughts on this, too, because I was reading on that because that was a weird one. Like, no, no, I'm good. I don't go with your kind is kind of how Americans would interpret this. But according to um, one of the commentaries I was reading, it talks about how she's like, you know what? No, I, I'm good. I have people around me. I'm protected. I'm I'm safe. I don't need extra protection was how they describe that, which leads us to that command of the army Um request there as well but it, it is interesting did you did you have any thoughts on that or any research on that yeah I, I you know i think there's some I, I think the reason that the question is being asked in the first place like i said is that they've been taking care of him but now you know he's given her opportunity to she can have anything from the king from the commander of the army any any anything that she wants and she's like she doesn't want to be isolated you know out from her people or or made have some something uniquely done on you know for her or on her behalf. Uh, she's content. We can we can hear a word of contentment here uh, mm. with what she has uh, when it comes to all those things, possessions and protection. I mean, those are the two things I think of whenever I think. Well, you go to the king. You know, I mean, he can he can give you things that um, can make you even wealthier. You know, or he could uh, uh, give you whatever you wanted. You know, as far as possessions, and then you've got uh, the the, uh, the the commander of the army here. Uh, you can have any kind of protection that you want. Well, she's content with the people around her. She doesn't need protection. She's with her own. Um, that's the way I've understood it. Whenever I was reading through this. And so as we move forward from there, she kind of goes kind of goes in a different direction um, than maybe what we're expecting as we read this. So right. let's continue on. Um, we will go fourteen through sixteen. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he called her, he stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. And when I was, I was, when I was hearing this pastor, one of the, one of the first thoughts I had was Abraham or Abram and Sarai. Yes. That when when God comes to them and says you have a son, their reaction is not like this, but they laugh, <laughs> like that's impossible. But here she has a different response. Any reflections on these verses? Yeah, I think I think it just I, I think it shows uh, a difference in where you are um, and who you are, you know, and how you're going to respond to something like that. You know, oh, don't 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 lie to me like that because I that's mm-hmm. impossible. I can't believe that's going to happen. Um, I think I think the same premise is there as with um, you know Sarah and and uh, Abram. I think the same the same uh, mm-hmm. the same reaction really is, is there. It's just that in one case they laughed, um, in another case um, the gal is going, you know, don't tell me that if, if it's if it's not true, don't be telling me that. You know, kind of that that feel for it, um, and knowing her age, you know, knowing how old she was. And this is where uh, there's a great book by one of our regular guests on KFU, different different programs that we have, Katie Shearman. And she wrote a book called He Remembers the Baron. And she mm. captures this beautifully because you get this feel from this, this Shunammite woman that she, it wasn't that she made a choice not to have children. It just wasn't there. She was barren for whatever reason. And so she probably went through years wanting to have children and she just couldn't. And so if you're going to tell me by this year, next year, I'm going to have a child and it doesn't come true. I've been down that path. I am wore out. I don't need that at all. Don't you 
dare mess with my heart in this realm. And so my encouragement for those um, who maybe have dealt with barrenness or uh, or pastors who are have uh, couples that are barren, that's a great book. He remembers the barren. It really captures, especially us as guys, we don't, you know, it's hard to envision it from that perspective. And I, I got a feel from reading her book and then reading this, that it really is that kind of reality. So much pain. Don't give me more pain. Any, any thoughts on that as you've served as pastor and worked with such couples? That's yeah. That's that's beautiful. Beautifully said. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen a number of couples that have gone through different experiences of not being able to have children, and um, it's a long haul. And yeah, that would be exhausting to finally get to that point. It's almost like you know he's touching on a on a really sour note here in her life, uh, a burr, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. she's had in her life because. Um, always hoping and praying that God would provide, and it never happens. And uh, and I think this says something again about the power of God coming and um, doing things within our lives. And I think all of us can point to to, uh, to times in our life where we would never have expected uh, what happened to have happened, um, because we would have never thought that that would have ever happened in our life. And I, I this is one of those times, just like the woman. Uh, that he helped before as well. Um, and I think another thing here is that, that we're hearing from both both of these uh, instances is that um, there is contentment, not, you know, not overkill uh, as far as provision, but contentment in what is being provided to them. And I think that's really, some, you know, something to be looked at as well, because Jesus talks about that, um, especially if you think of like Matthew chapter 6, uh, where Jesus is talking about, you know, be ca- basically being content with what you have. Don't worry about, uh, you know, food and clothes and, and all of that. You know, the pagans run after that stuff. But but just know that the Lord will provide. And I think, it, you know, this is definitely saying something about challenging this woman and her trust and faith in this prophet, this one from God, whether or not this can actually happen. And I think there's a little bit of lament there and, and the beauty of Christianity and the beauty of the scriptures is that God allows us to lament, um, to say, why are you doing this to me? Where are you, O Lord? The imprecatory Psalms, the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah is full of, of laments. And they're currently studying that on the, uh, uh, Sharper Iron at eight o'clock on KFUO. And it's a good reminder for us that God allows us to lament, complain, get angry and all of this because the Lord can take it. If he can take sins on his shoulders, he can truly take our laments because we do it in faith and it actually helps us understand um, that the faithful life is not all uh, rainbows and unicorns. It is it is, it is tough. It is broken, but we have a Lord has been broken for us. So I, I sense a lament there too, but I, I, have to, I have to stop for there. Let's go to verse 17 and let's finish our time off. 17. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. So pastor, what does the Lord do? Well, you know, he he actually follows through with his promises. And so we hear a promise given by Elisha here to this woman. And then, of course, here is the fulfillment. And, I, you know, how can you not see that this is, uh, you know, definitely pointing to something even greater for us, too, as far as um, another woman who uh, finds it absolutely impossible. How can I have a son? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a virgin, you know who was given a promise, and 
then conceived, of course, uh, the Savior of the world, um, our dear Savior Jesus. So it's just it's 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 again we see how uh, we need to continually put our trust and our faith in God, and and let Him uh, continue to provide for us in ways that we don't deserve. I mean, we're very undeserving people when it comes to being blessed in in ways that uh, are beyond our imagination even. Uh, and of course, the greatest blessing of all is the blessing that we receive. In, uh, in, the, in his mercy and his grace through the salvation that's offered, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration uh, in our relationship to our Father in heaven. Pastor Curtis Dieterding of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida, helping us put on our Christ goggles in Second Kings chapter 4. Pastor Dieterding, thank you again for being our guest. And it's always a joy. God bless. As a small catechism tells us, saints of our Lord, all this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this is my duty to thank and pray, serve and obey. This is most certainly true. We see how the Lord provided today for the, the widow, for the Shunanite woman, and the Lord provides for you, especially that, as Pastor Dieterding says so well, everything that we have in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.